0: Welcome, everybody. Andrew Holacek here. I'm really delighted to introduce you to Dr. Nevin Aurora and spend the next hour or so with this uh, remarkable individual talking to, to you all about some super practical infrastructure approaches to sleep and dream, um, which are obviously incredibly necessary for working with things like lucid dreaming altogether so let me introduce you to to dr aurora here so dr nevin aurora is a board-certified psychiatrist and sleep medicine specialist he completed his residency in psychiatry at georgetown followed by a sleep medicine fellowship at stanford university his interests focus on non-drug therapies for insomnia and other sleep disorders Including lucid draining as a potential intervention and framework for improving sleep and quality of life. So, welcome, Nevin. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. And um, gosh, there's so much to, to talk about, to launch into here. But the main kind of um, gesture of this interview is someone in harmony with. Uh, a kind of a classic maxim in the Buddhist tradition where they assert that the preliminaries are more important than the main practice. And um, if we're talking about the main practice in our schema being things like lucid dreaming, then the preliminaries start with having good sleep um, and the ability to really uh, work with our dreams. And so, what I want to spend this next hour or so with you about is is talking about the extraordinary importance of sleep, its role in physical and psychological health. Um, but before we jump into that, because that is obviously an enormous topic, I do want to start right up front with your permission, with this really provocative aspect of your bio, where you talk about your, your inclusion of lucid dreaming as a potential intervention and framework for improving sleep and quality of life. Um, so if it's okay, let's start with you riffing a little bit on that and, and how that has played out in your uh, professional work. And also, if I might um, ask, how it's actually played out in your own personal life as a lucid dreamer. So how do how in fact do you use yeah. lucid as an intervention and framework?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, no, well, th- thank you for having me. And, uh, uh, you know, great way to dive into it. I, I-, I will tell you up front, my-, my own personal lucid dreaming experience is, Probably not quite as expansive and rich as as others who are listening and and others who um who uh r- really have um you know incredible transformative experiences with that. In in general, you know, and just in the based on the work that I do, the clinical work I do with which does specialize a lot in insomnia, there's just a a a, a need really to be able to offer some type of treatments that, that are a little bit more durable and something that people can. You know, really keep with them for for an extended period of time, which which uh, pharmaceutical drugs, they, while well, they can help, it's it oftentimes doesn't give that durable benefit. So, in, in general, um, when I think about lucid dreaming and just dreaming in general, this this provides really a excellent avenue to explore oneself uh, every night, potentially a few times a night, to be able to uh, transform the experience of not sleeping into something that can provide some more willful control or, or a different different respect on how to conceptualize the difficulty in sleeping um you know uh, so much about insomnia is a, a person's perception of it and their then their behaviors that surround their their lack of sleep and w- what i've found with lucid dreaming in the few couple of experiences that i've had with it and in talking to others who really have had a really good practice with it is that the experience of being awake at night and the experience of getting up in the morning can really become much more rich and fulfilling if we have this uh, focus on which to build from. And, and obviously with lucid dreaming, this becomes a focus that, that stays with us and is able to allow us, again, like I said, a different introspection into how we're living our life and what's coming to us in our sleep uh i really appreciate what you said about the the buddhist maxim there about learning um the the and i'm sorry i know you said it best there but yeah. how the, the beginners um you got to yeah. focus on the things at the very beginning there versus the the end goal which which would be lucid dreaming and you know i think the interesting thing that comes about that with sleep is the best sleepers out there are children and 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 people who have not necessarily been you know, uh, on this world for as long, those are the best sleepers out there. And, and those are the people that have the most uh, ability to lucid dream, I would say, in the sense of the REM sleep that's there. Uh, so I, I know I'm talking on a tangent here, but to get back to what you were saying about uh, lucid dreaming as a, as a foundation, um, or, or how to build upon there, it's just, it becomes something to where dreams and nightmares oftentimes for people, this is Uh, something that comes to people, whether they like it or not. And oftentimes when I speak about nightmares, it's a very unpleasant experience. And this in and of itself can cause sleeping difficulties, difficulty during the daytime. And when we can think about how to work with a nightmare or to be able to change the script of a nightmare or to look at it in a different way, you know, lo and behold, so many other things start to improve in the sense of a person's sleep quality, you know, their daytime waking experiences, just being able to Work through something or understand these, you know, potentially horrific images or, or themes that just visit every night. And and while medications can certainly help to maybe dull that experience a little bit, I think the real treatment for a disorder like that is to be able to confront it and to be able to work with it and and uh, redefine that experience into something that can make it more of a holistic experience or become one of ourself here, um, one with oneself and with that type of integration, I mean, my goodness, the sky's the limit really. And lucid dreaming to me, um, from an intellectual standpoint, and as I said, from very minimal experiences of the ones that I've had, you know, it's just, it really is, it's something to where I don't think our backs can be turned upon it. I think it's something we need, we need to embrace. It's something we need to understand more. And to be able to do that, I think is really going to help you know, not not only the person, but I think the the clinician or the provider, the the therapist, the counselor, whoever have you to understand a person as a whole and be able to treat a person as a whole.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And actually, if I'm understanding you, <coughs> excuse me, it's really resonant with the the charter and the theme of what we're doing with our little um, nightclub and and the members who were involved in it. And that is that you know the larger scope, lucid dreaming obviously has a very specific kind of target. But if I'm grokking what you're saying, Evan, it's really the, the larger scope of lucidity is really what we're talking about here, that that yes, it's great if you can have lucid dreams and that sort of thing. But the, the larger um, scope is that by bringing a heightened sense of awareness to the nocturnal mind altogether, we can fundamentally change our relationship to sleep and dream and work with um, obstacles and really transform them into opportunities. And, and for instance, you're, you're referring to insomnia, which, is of course, of the 100 or so plus sleep disorders, is number one on the list. And I want to yeah. come back and talk about that. But this is this is absolutely in resonance with my own experience. Before I actually started talking to, to sleep professionals, is that armed with the skill set of, of lucid dreaming, that I've been able to transform my relationship to this otherwise really unwanted experience. And instead of you know, my little playful mantra here is instead of "oh crap," it's "oh wow." You know, every night yeah. I have the opportunity to here it is. I, you know, there it is. I got to deal with it. And, and really, in a very deep way, meditation, as I've come to understand it altogether, is in fact about changing relationship to phenomenal experiences. And and that regard, that's what this does. You have that. You have the nightmare. You have the the inability to fall asleep or whatever whatever you're struggling with. And armed with the classic lucid dreaming armamentarium and also the skill set that i want to tap um your experience with a little bit more we can transform this obstacle into opportunity by in fact transforming our relationship to it
1: exactly Uh, yeah absolutely andrew yeah you, you nail on the head it's um it's really exciting actually to think about just the potential this has and and how and again the work you're doing with the nightclub here and what you have just how this is something that is more accessible to people if they have that interest, if they have that desire that, that there are opportunities to do this. So really it's just, uh, it's really an exciting time, I think. And, and it's, the sky's the limit. I would say if we could really start to live our life and transform our sleep, not just our sleep state, but our wake state into something that is a little bit more of a lucid living, something where we are more cognizant of the present moment and able to gain mastery of our thoughts and our, you know, leading into that, our behaviors and our ability to sleep. So absolutely.
0: And, and what the other thing that it does for me, I Evan, is, it, is it, it alters my relationship to sleep and dream altogether because, as we both know, especially in the, in the Western world, we have a somewhat dismissive relationship to sleep and dream. You know, there's this popular saying, you snooze, you lose. Well, I, I think we can flip that on its head. If you don't snooze, you definitely lose. Um, and <laughs> if, if we don't have – Uh, uh, respect the power of sleep. I mean, it's really the infrastructure of how we live our lives, like you were talking at the end. If we don't don't get the sleep that we need, and this is what I want to start to turn our lens towards, if we don't get the sleep that we need, um, our days are profoundly and adversely affected. And with your permission, I wanted to just read a tiny bit. This is actually from uh, Matthew Walker's book. Yeah,
1: Um, yeah, excellent book.
0: Yeah, where he, he really sums it up. And, and in fact, as I sit here at my desk, I, I've got, what, five, six, seven books over the last couple of years. You know, Ariane Huffington's book, The, the Sleep Revolution, The Mind at Night, Cat um, Dove's book, The Secret Life of Sleep, Matthew Walker's book. And to me, it's really thrilling that finally, in the popular um, press, people are starting to realize that this... This uh, previously unhealthy relationship to sleep and dream is now being um, really contested by science and popularized by these authors so that people realize if, in fact, we don't sleep and dream properly, we're going to live profoundly affected, adversely affected lives. And in fact, we're going to live shorter. Um, So let me just start by um, reading this one little thing from Matthew. And then let's unpack it a little bit, because whatever we can do, to uh, encourage our listeners to get the restorative rest they truly need, I I think then um, our time will be extremely well spent. So this is what what Matthew says, routinely sleeping less than six or seven hours a night demolishes your immune system, more than doubling your risk of cancer. Insufficient sleep is a key lifestyle factor determining whether or not you will develop Alzheimer's disease. Inadequate sleep, Even moderate reductions for just one week disrupts blood sugar levels so profoundly that you could be classified as pre-diabetic. Short sleeping increases the likelihood of your coronary arteries being blocked and brittle, setting you on a path toward cardiovascular disease, stroke, and congestive heart failure. And then, fitting Charlotte Bronte's prophetic wisdom that a ruffled mind makes a restless pillow, disruption further contributes to all major psychiatric conditions including depression anxiety and suicidality and then he says this this is this is also worth mentioning the physical and mental impairments caused by one night of bad sleep dwarf those caused by an equivalent absence of food or exercise it's difficult to imagine any other state natural or medically Manipulated it affords the more powerful redressing of physical and mental health at every level of analysis, and then this amazing summary statement. And then I really want to let you run with this. Leave is the single most effective thing we can do to reset our brain and body health each day. Mother Nature's best effort yet at contra death. So that's a that's a I think a, a potent um, summary statement about. Uh, if we don't get this um, incredibly precious rest every night, we're heading towards a heap of hurts. And so let's start to unpack this a little bit. And and I want to get a couple factors later about how all this relates to many of the signs and we could say um, symptoms of aging, that aging, many of the signs are almost directly proportional to our lack of deep non-REM sleep. So, talk to us a little bit about, about your experience with this, and and add whatever data comes to your mind about just encouraging our listeners to really pay homage to the nocturnal invitation. What I often refer to, Evan, as the the natural curfew of the night. That, yeah. that when Mark, you know, where we're invited in, and we should pay attention to this invitation and let nature do its restorative duty
1: well i well the and yeah you, i mean this is this is a great summary because the data really is it's it's overwhelming at this point just what lack of sleep poor sleep disrupted sleep it what what it does to does it does to the body what it does to the mind and especially when we think about sleep even just in in non humans it's it's a ubiquitous thing and and every you know every animal out there in in some way has this period of quiescence at night or sleep at night where it just becomes it's necessary it's 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 a necessary uh state that we need every everybody needs everything needs but what what tends to happen and when we do these studies and when we see just what the impact of sleep is you know we're doing it on humans and we see this that the heart struggles the blood sugar struggles the the mind struggles alzheimers you know and, and not to mention which we didn't speak about as well just the effect of the sleeping medication and really does this necessarily curtail these things i would say um, it, it's it's unlikely, um, especially long term, where actually it's probably doing more harm than good. Uh, and you know how I look at this as a clinician, because I, obviously this is something that that my clients, my patients will talk about, and it really adds to the anxiety regarding sleep. Because I think at this point most people know how important sleep is, and most people recognize what a good night's sleep can do. Now the trick or the, the challenge becomes getting to that knowledge of getting to sleep to now the actual execution of being able to sleep, which is unfortunately easier said than done. And while, while the, the evidence is out there about how important sleep is, I guess to take it to another level. And when I think about as a clinician, how to help somebody there, it's almost like all this knowledge, it is power, but that power, it's overpowering us at this point. So now where, the this knowing what sleep doesn't do is not helping anybody sleep better at night. If anything, people are just going to bed with more of a ruffled pillow because they're these are the things that are going through someone's distressed mind about being unable to sleep. Uh, uh, let, me, let me just interrupt that yeah. for
0: just you know, because I think that's really super important, uh, and it's also somewhat um, funny. I mean, humorous in a gallows way, and it's very ironic. that This is what yeah. happened to me. I'm reading all these books, and on one level. <laughs> Like O M G, this is amazing, this data. But <laughs> I, I, on a subtle level, it's like stressing me out, right? Because I'm <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it stresses me out. Yeah, it's it's really but, yeah.
0: So it's it's a, a what I the tradition sometimes you refer to as a near enemy of this type of data. That that um, obviously it can uh, be very helpful in terms of informing us of the importance of sleep, but it can also backfire if we're not getting that sleep and then yeah, adding it, it fuel to that stress. That's saying, oh my gosh, you know, here I am. Everybody's telling me I should get my, my sleeve. sleep. I'm like yeah. getting my, and it, it, it makes it work. So, so let's again, I, I'm gonna let put this ball back in your court. Um, how can we then, with your clinical experience, give us some very specific tips, both in terms of, um, and again, I don't mean to interrupt the track that you were on, but uh, in terms of like sleep hygiene, sure. how to re- really create very practical, hands-on Tips for how to to really affect a, a more um, powerful sleep.
1: Yeah, and, and you know that is the other good thing that comes with all this all this knowledge and all this um, data that's out there is there is actually a lot of uh, a lot of information out there, very very accessible for you know how do we what are some of the things we could do to start start this path for better sleep and again uh, I mean, I mean in, in especially in this Apple age where you just go to Apple News and there's all these different articles there, you know, seven tips to sleep better, or six things you could do right away to sleep better. So the information is out there. But what I would say, and, and before going into some more of these, um, these tips, you know, it's about how we relate to this information that I think is just as important as the actual information, because, you know, and I think uh, you, you may be able to, to agree with this as well, you know, there's a difference between I think this is actually a, a a line from the matrix you know there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path and i think for a lot of people we know the path we know what we need to do to sleep but now actually doing that becomes challenging and, and to, to as an example of this i would say the first thing to help with sleeping at night it actually starts in the daytime and that is to have a fixed wake-up time uh-huh. monday wednesday friday sunday whatever the day it is the brain Days of the week is something that we've, is a construct that we've created as human beings, but the brain works on this 24-plus-hour clock where every day, every cycle should be the same, and that cycle has to start with waking up at the same time every morning. It just becomes paramount, I think, to starting to do everything else that's being talked about to improve sleep, is to have that anchored wake-up time in the morning. And then from there, I would actually say a lot of these things we need to do for insomnia start with how we are living our waking life, what we are doing in the sense of the the hours of wakefulness that were given to us here. Um, a, a big part of this, I think, goes back to how we as human beings are living our life now compared to where we were, you know, even just 50 years ago, which, which in the grand scheme of time is really not that long of a time. You know, we certainly are more sedentary now. We are a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more, a lot more uh, kind of, using uh technology as part of our daily lives whether it's with work whether it's with play uh and oftentimes that 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 computer phone whatever it is it's it's something that's with us all day and then even what goes more important even after the sun sets it stays with us at night and really our brain is not wired to have to take in all this information and stimuli over an extended period of time like this you know once upon a time human human beings were living and dying by the sun. And that's something that's kind of become a lost art form now with the advent of technology and the light bulb and the fluorescent lights out there. So to, to, I guess to, to talk what you're saying about tips to improve your sleep hygiene, I think there's a lot of great information out there and it all makes rational sense. You know, avoid the caffeine too late in the day, avoid taking naps, you know, make that bed a place where you reserve it only for sleep and intimacy. Um, if you're unable to fall asleep, you're not in your sleep environment, exercise becoming so paramount of so, so important to be able to allow your body to, to be exhausted so that the sleep is able to come deeper at night when, when your body is recovering. I mean, this all becomes very important, but I've also seen, and you have to take it to to the next level there. I've seen people who could do all these things, right. They cut out the caffeine. They don't take naps. They're going to bed when they're sleepy and the the sleep is still elusive to them. And so there has to be a missing piece there to where it's not just some cookie cutter recipe to sleep, but there has to be something else that I think comes into how we're living our waking life to allow when our head hits the pillow, our mind to be at ease, to our mind to be at rest, to allow that ruffled pillow to be one that has more of a smooth, smooth, smoothness to it, because I just think insomnia, it's, it's kind of the end result of how our lives are being led now and essentially mm-hmm. what we are taking to bed with us and what, uh, what our technology has given to us, which don't get me wrong, is a gift and it's, it's excellent. And in many ways, it's made our world a better place. But I would argue that how it's made the world – how it's made our lives worse is sleep disorders are increasing. Insomnia is increasing mental health disorders are increasing. I think I was just reading a study about how the suicide rates in, in, in young adults have just skyrocketed over the past 10 years here. And while there's no one reason for that, I think we certainly have to look at poor sleep and, and really how how we're, our life as human beings isn't as a, isn't as necessary an organism anymore. It's kind of like this higher level, almost, I hate to say it, but almost like robot type existence that we're living now to where... We're just not using, you know, everything that our body has been given to us like we need to, our our hands, our feet, our our legs, our lungs. You know, we, these are things that have been given to us and how do we spend it? You know, oftentimes in a chair doing computer work all day because that's what our, our job dictates. So when we talk about not sleeping, I think it's a greater phenomenon that's, that we can't ignore how we're living our waking life as well.
0: That's really terrifically well said and and so important. And I think it's also worth tossing into the mix here, Nevin, that that my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's not one psychiatric condition where sleep is not adversely affected. And so the the kind of the bidirectionality between psychiatric disorders and sleep is is unequivocal and and also um, uh, quite disconcerting. And what came to my mind, and I'm curious if you've worked with this, is that when I hear you talking about this, it's very interesting when people have we're armed with all this incredible information, which of course is 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 really important, but one of my new maxims these days is um, uh, you know information to transformation, in other words, how do we take this data and and really apply it and I think this particular arena is unique in that um we're talking about well how do i how do I do better sleep well I think one of the initial things right off the bat, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that and this is where the stuff really ties into my my understanding of, of uh, meditation as well, is that when we're trying to fall asleep, in a certain sense, what we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to do nothing, but we're trying to do it really well. And, and that's one of the ways I talk about what meditation is, the art of human being and not human doing. And I, and I yeah. think this larger gestalt, this kind of context that you're talking about is completely applicable here is is that we've lost the sense of being and we define ourselves by what we do. And so when we fall asleep, we're we're basically, it's nature's invitation to to get undone or to come undone. And we're so good at doing things, we're not really trained, so to speak, and even that's almost an oxymoron in the art of not doing. And so, um, you know, in, in the inner yoga Uh, traditions you may or may not be aware of it's very interesting they talk about the subtle winds and these subtle winds are what actually drive thoughts and when we fall asleep um, we unwind and what i often talk about in this context is we unwind and if we're too we're too windy the mind in fact in vajrayana language thought is literally referred to as movement of mind is driven by these winds and so To me, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, and this is where I have to say personally, my experience with meditation has been the uh, ultimate kind of sleep aid, is that um, it allows me the opportunity to once again, and here's this kind of narrative, this this, uh, theme for our conversation, it allows me to change my relationship to the contents of my mind, so that when these thoughts arise... Instead of setting up the usual adversarial relationship I have with them that, of course, keeps me awake and is one way to exacerbate insomnia, I allow myself to kind of step back in this kind of witness awareness mode, a more playful, open relationship, almost celebratory relationship to the windy nature of my mind. And that, in, in, in a way, allows me to come undone that, therefore, the natural consequence of that not doing is, in fact, sleep. So I'm curious if that speaks to you, whether you've had some experience with that sort of approach.
1: No, and that's 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 wonderful. I'm I'm really happy to hear that, that that's that your experience has changed with meditation. And and I don't think it's 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 a coincidence that when we look at these um apps that are out there and available to us for sleep, to improve sleep, you know, meditation, mindfulness, they're, they're a cornerstone of every single thing because this is this is the answer. Well, this is part of the answer to be able to sleep is to be able to, you know, allow ourselves to be undone at night. Using your words there, it's it reminds me of that quote. I believe it was Gandhi who actually said, you know, every night when I go to sleep, I die, and then when I awaken in the morning, I'm reborn. And at sure. the end of the day, at the end of the night, we have to quote unquote let ourselves die. We have to let the day die. We have to let everything that we are trying to accomplish as human doings into just, like you said, a human being, I think that's an excellent analogy. Uh, But this just becomes a challenge to be able to let go of these things. And meditation just allows for us to, and and I know you can speak to this much better than I can, to allow ourselves to just be in that moment without any judgment or preconceived notions or, or anxiety regarding what the next things are. Because if we stay in that present moment, really, there's no room for regret. There's no room for anxiety if every moment is being lived by breath to breath uh and if we are able to understand this and you know understand how we can apply this and how we can do this in a way that relates to what anybody can do you know i know i understand and even in my experience, like meditation it can be it can be challenging for people to figure out and and no one at least i don't think figures it out right away it becomes a a practice it's like any other skill in life you know michael jordan didn't get to be michael jordan by not practicing, you know, multiple hours a day at his craft. And that's what, in terms of meditation, I think this becomes a whole mindset that we have to create and cultivate that really kind of goes counter to how how the world is moving nowadays, where really it's just, there's no room to kind of just stop and observe the moment because there's just always something going on. There's always some some anxiety or worry that we have that just keeps the brain trying to figure it out. And meditation just becomes this beautiful venue to be able to allow instead of constantly feeling like we need to catch up with the world to say you know this is my time to let the world catch up to me and lo and behold people sleep and and i've heard that from again not from you and from multiple other people that if they could just take some deep breaths and stay focused on the being in the present moment the sleep will come and there's absolutely something to that um Exactly. So I really appreciate how you how you say that, and i I'm, I certainly think some of these um Eastern wisdoms it's it needs to be applied to this our Western culture now. And I think there is a push, and I think there are some uh inroads that that is happening, and it's it's very exciting to see as well because I think this is going to be the way to really start to transform sleep and sleep disorders into something to where we can provide a lot of hope, where it's not just study after study about how horrible not sleeping it is, but now we actually have a way to improve this that goes beyond looking for an answer outside of ourselves with a a pill or a behavior that we do into something that's within us and within every human being out there. It's really a it's really a beautiful thing to think about and really exciting to talk about. Yeah,
0: and, and let me toss in this. I just I just thought about this when you were uh-huh. um, you, you comment that it, you know it, on a more metaphysical level, just briefly, it, it's very interesting that this you know because we are more human doings than human beings and and when we fall asleep not too dissimilar to when we die we we basically Ah. done and and i might i might um hypothesize that part of what could actually be kind of sublimating this entire uh, inability to fall asleep on one level could be fear of death because Mm -hmm. you know we are human doers and nature's ultimate um curfew which leads uh really in its deepest kind of sense in, in uh, the ultimate curfew of the darkness of death is, is nature's restraining order that does not allow us to do anything. And if we identify ourselves as doings and now beings, then I think this is also uh, easily associated with our fear of death, that part of our ability yeah. to let go, and that's what dying, uh, letting go is a euphemism for death, really. Mm-hmm. I think that into to what um, in our night, Club schema, we talk about um, them, and we have this kind of charter of these four so called nocturnal practices um, lucid dreaming being the platform, just to give you some sense, which can mature into what's called dream yoga, can mature into sleep yoga, which itself can mature into bardo yoga, which is a bardo, of course, the teachings in, in relationship to death. So I think that I think that's worth tossing into the mix. But get more practically here, because this is where your expertise comes into play. I know in my own practice, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the America American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I work uh-huh. principally the second most common sleep disorder that you very well know, which is obstructive sleep apnea. Um, but it's interesting, I often in my own clinical practice, when people come in, they have an intractable, chronic infection. Something's not healing. We put them on the big gun antibiotics, and not resolving. One of my go-to questions right now is, "How is your sleep?" Mm-hmm. And I often find that um, I, you could say, prescribe sleep. And and the, and the reason I toss this into the mix is that in addition to prescribing sleep, and I'm becoming a little bit more courageous with that, especially because I, I live and work in Boulder, where I'm now in conjunction of prescribing sleep i'm prescribing meditation things like mindfulness-based stress reduction things that aren't associated with any kind of religion um do you do that um, uh, in your practice as well i mean do you prescribe meditation is that part of your armamentarium
1: you know it's certainly something that i will speak of and it's something that i will really really emphasize i i guess in terms of prescribing it uh you know that's like I, don't, I certainly don't write it on my script and be like meditation three times a day and hand it to them, but you know, it is something where I say like this is going to be a big part about what we speak about in the future. And I, I work and I know you've had um you've had her um on fairly recently, Dr. Kristen Lamarca. You know, she um she's my colleague in San Diego, and we work very closely together here. And I will very much, very much refer to her for a lot of the insomnia patients to where you know we do need to take it a step a step further. This is something to where you know people are able to know what to do, but they need a little bit more help and guidance or they want to help cultivate this this practice of being able to improve their abilities to relax and to you know do things like what we call biofeedback where we actually are becoming more aware of our auto, what's called autonomic nervous system or our heartbeat and our breath and actually able to visualize and see what relaxation looks like on a fundamental physical level in terms of our breathing and our heart rate so you know, in terms of prescribing meditation, you know, I certainly don't, you know, I it not a paper to do it, but I will certainly say how important it is and try to get people into the right venue to be able to speak to and create a relationship with someone who can really, really take it from what I can put out there into now executing this on a, on a deeper level and a more, more tangible level, um, So, you know, I I like how you say that, though, prescribing a meditation, because, you know, I say it out loud. and It's like, you know, well, why don't I do that? Because that sounds that sounds like a great idea. And it sounds like something that could really be low risk, potentially high benefit. So, you know, I might might have to take that away from here and actually try it out on some uh, some um, lucky lucky candidates.
0: Yeah. You know, part of this came into my mind. I was I was um, recently rewatching. I'm sure you've seen it. The National Geographic thing on Sleepless in America. And, and uh, I'll put that link onto our site for our listeners, um, the 90-minute ref on exactly the topics we're talking about. And, and, and they're interviewing all these poor people um, that are suffering from sleep disorders, principally insomnia. And as I hear one after another, and of course I hear this in my own practice as well, um, I realize you know, if they simply had the skill set of relating to their mind in in a, a way that meditation invites, so much of what they're struggling with can be uh, uptunded, alleviated by, again, yeah. altering one's relationship um, you know, to the contents of one's mind. But, but let's talk, if you don't mind for a second, Evan, about um, sleep medications, uh, yeah. Ambient, and the like, um, and whether they have a role at all in your clinical practice, what your relationship with those is, because um, as I think we both well know, they have a pretty powerful shadow component and they can cause a lot of collateral damage. So talk to us a little bit about the role, if any of sleep meds for people who really get desperate in terms of trying to get the role.
1: Well, and absolutely, you know, and it's such an important topic and it's a topic in and of itself. And I would say me, me being as an, as an MD, you know, this really is what I guess can set me apart from, from, uh, non-mds is my ability to prescribe medications and i guess the irony that comes with that is i'm not a big uh medication how you say pusher you know i, I really don't prescribe medications too often now to answer your question though th- there is a role for sleeping medication now, i really don't want to poo-poo that sleeping medications have no role and they're, they're nothing but doom and gloom because there is a role with sleeping medications. it's it's what i think the best chance we have to potentially improve insomnia Within the first night, you know, within an immediate relief of insomnia, you know, whether this is a very restorative sleep or a very significant increase in sleep is up for debate. uh, But sleeping medications are maybe not necessary, but they certainly should be part of the treatment plan, especially since everything that we're talking about here and even some things we're not talking about. I mean, this is this is hard work. This is a transformation of a way of someone's thinking during their waking life and how they're approaching sleep and And their relationship with the bed. And this is not things that are easy to do. You know, when typically people with chronic insomnia, they've had this for at least three months. The diagnostic criteria is at least three months for three nights a week. But oftentimes people with insomnia, they've had this for years, decades, you know, after the birth of their first child, after that divorce. You know, they've just been struggling with it for years. And a medication is certainly something that can hopefully, how I tell patients, put a Band-Aid over that wound of insomnia so we don't have to look at it every night. But we have to recognize that these band-aids aren't going to heal that wound. These band-aids, in the best case scenario, will cover it up, so we can at least be in a better position to sleep at night. But with covering that wound, the hope is that we can start to do things to heal that wound. And healing that wound of insomnia really becomes everything else that we're talking about. And and it is going to take time. And sometimes that wound is really vicious and festering, and it, and it hurts. So there is a role for these band-aids nowadays, but. Like I said, we have to remember, Band-Aids don't heal and Band-Aids hurt to rip off. It, it becomes very challenging once we get on sleeping medication, especially taking them nightly and chronically to now all of a sudden take that away. You know, the the brain doesn't like that. The brain is not able to um, overcome the the lack of that medication there when it becomes something that's it's been subjected to every night. And if we are going to do things to heal that wound and to make that wound smaller – We have to be able to use medications for what they are as a temporary solution to a chronic problem. So and with the sleeping medications, there are numerous sleeping medications out there. And there's a lot of medications that are oftentimes not indicated for sleep, but used because they have a sedative property to it. And I have to say, you know, I, I do I while I don't necessarily go to medications first line, I do I would be I would be doing patients a disservice if this was not at least part of something we talked about and something that we don't offer. But with the medication, we have to put it in the context of the greater global picture here. So I guess it's a long-winded say of, yes, uh, sleeping medication, there is a role for it. But I think the role that it has, it's just becomes too easy to write a medication now without really examining everything else that we're talking about here that just becomes so important to be able to conquer the insomnia long term.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and what you're saying here brings to mind – I have to say my mind is open around this sort of stuff as well, Nevin, because, again, in a larger kind of philosophical way, uh, I find it very interesting to see how both the, the so-called East and West fall into these kind of reductionistic traps where, um, for instance, in, in my sort of area of expertise that you could kind of associate that with Eastern approaches, it's very easy from that stance to poo-poo uh, medications, sleep aids, and the like – um, and fall into this kind of reductionist approach that, oh, you know, my meditation alone can do this, my whatever can do this. But, um, and, and obviously in, in a converse way, the same thing happens in the West, where, where they may be a little bit more blind to their own forms of reductionism, that everything can be handled with medication and the like. And so one of my favorite approaches these days, you may have heard, you know, the integral theory, I'm a big fan of that approach, where there are, in this specific case, and this is why I brought it up, there are, in fact, obviously, <laughs> neurological correlates to phenomenological states of mind. In other words, when you're sleeping, your brain is in a certain state. Uh-huh. And if, if you can bring about that um, kind of bidirectional means, in other words, if you can, if you can work with the substrate, the, the so-called physical substrate, in this case the brain, with these sleep medications, then obviously with that larger view and honoring that more integral approach, these meds do have their place. So let uh-huh. me ask you this. Is there anything outside of medication that can target these neural correlates? Are there transcranial devices or other types of approaches, even on on the forefront of your you know throwing your javelin into the future? Do you see any hope with technology to assist bringing about these these neurological, um states to invoke phenomenological states do you see anything outside of meds in, in in the future that could uh potentially be a benefit to people
1: yeah absolutely and and there is there are some things that are actually out there um that are non-medication that kind of work exactly what you're saying from kind of a neurological point of view um you know I, i'm just I'm, I'm actually i'm trying to look it up now because there is uh, i'm just trying to look at what it's called there's actually um I'm not trying to plug anything here, but I was just reading actually about this new um, device that's come out. It's called Cervella, and essentially it uses um, electrical impulses um, through your through your ears, through your temporal area there, to actually slow down brainwaves and actually be able to entrain more of a, a rhythm that is more conducive to sleep. Uh, th- this technology has actually been around for quite some time, but it's now just becoming to the forefront of being able to be more on the consumer markets. Um, So there is absolutely ways uh, beyond medications and maybe from a neurological point of view or just, you know, slowing down brainway point of view, quote unquote, to be able to improve insomnia, you know, without drugs and potentially in a more natural way. And, And again, like I said, what we really want is a durable benefit, a benefit that could be long lasting that we can take with us from age 16 to 60, you know, something that will work throughout the course of our adult lives where you know insomnia is going to be a part of life it's just it's just a natural order of things there are going to be nights we can't sleep there are going to be nights where things happen in our waking life and it just comes to bed with us and we can't necessarily force that sleep to happen when the brain needs to sort through a significant trauma or life change or event to where that sleep-wake balance is going to be shifted toward being awake because it needs to figure it out so what I would say is that the sleeping medications are excellent for that type of insomnia, this transient insomnia to where we have a reason for not sleeping and it's hopefully something that can be temporary and we have a hypnotic aid to help with that. But in terms of what you're saying, you know, are there other things beyond meds? I do think there are some technology-based things out there. I think there is some utility to a lot of these apps that are out there that just have guided meditation that kind of do you know, everything that we're talking about but more in a practical way. Um, so, yeah, again, just a long-winded way of saying, yes, there are things out there. I think it's very exciting. Um, and, you know, the the with all this technology we have, it's a gift and it's a curse. And I really hope that in the future we can harness this incredible gift that we've been able to have as human beings into something that's going to help our species as a whole and to be able to yeah. get back to, you know, where we were when, you know, it's when we were – first just on this world where sleep was something that was just part of our daily life and i think if we can get back to that you know a lot of our things are going to be there it's very easy to talk about the downside of not sleeping but the opposite is true as well the upside of it like once we can start to transform it and begin to sleep better i my goodness you know it's really really rewarding and gratifying to see just how lives can change just by simply Improving something that's already built into who we are. It's already ingrained since we were born what we were able to do and to be able to get that back You know, it shouldn't necessarily have to take a lot of pharmacology. It shouldn't have to take a lot of uh, Increased or you know a lot of uh, technical things It's oftentimes just kind of going back to you know What our mind was like when we were kids, you know, because that's that's typically when we sleep the best is when we were children You know when the world was new when everything was exciting and it was a simpler place Um, so,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, we 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 return yet again, and I think it's worth returning to it because it's a, it's a, a I think a powerful narrative is that on one level, um the process of sleep is is uh, so simple that it's that um you know children I would argue because they don't yet identify themselves so much as human doers right more spontaneous yeah, yeah. More playful, then a the natural we we can let them teach us a natural consequence <laughs> of the, the playful yeah. relation like, hey. What a beautiful, simple relationship they have to life, and look how beautiful they sleep. And here we are, so-called sophisticated adults, um, all stressed out with our complexities. Yeah. And the natural consequence of that, unfortunately, is a very complex relationship to sleep. And, and I would argue that I think this is one of the reasons these really simplistic methods are, um, you know, until the science comes up to really back them, they're, they're, they're challenged by the Western complex mind. Because you know, really, can it be that easy? Well, yeah, I think it actually can be that easy. So yeah. we have to we have to kind of circle back around by using like science to show us that fundamentally the the simplest approach is actually the best. Um, and i I find that really a, a a painful irony and also somewhat encouraging that that with all the research that's coming out and with all the studies and the power of science, that eventually we can reinstate the the utter simplicity and, and in a certain way let that simplicity, you could say, defeat the complex modern mind. So I, I find that an interesting.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Don't yeah, you think? Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, because, yeah, at the end of the day, sleep sleep shouldn't be rocket science. It shouldn't be something that needs technology. It shouldn't be something that has a lot of preparation for it. You know, sleep should be as simple as, waking up it's it's our biological rhythm to sleep i just think in in culture now and maybe this is more western culture we try to go against that grain a little bit more we try to we, we try to go to against what what our own biological drives are you know whether it's that let's 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 you know binge watch that series on netflix or let's see you know what's on the 24/7 news cycle now or what twitter is saying like we kind of go against that biological drive that we have sleep um and and you know and maybe it is just as simple as disconnect from all these things simplify the burdens on your mind you know go back and be out in the sun more be one with nature more and and i think the sleep will follow you know i think for a lot of this you know people are trying to improve their sleep right away which can take some time and can be frustrating when that's not happening so maybe the the paradigm to follow is what are some of the things we could do in our waking life what are some of these things that we could do when our brain is actually awake and alert to put ourselves in a better chance of sleep at night. And I think if we start doing that, the sleep will follow. The, the brain will figure this out um, in some respect if we just live our waking life in a way to where we give sleep that respect and we are able to live our life in a way that is more, more lucid. And you know, it brings to mind this concept of, and I know you're very familiar with this, beginner's mind. And I think this is, goes, is applicable to how children live their life. You know, We have to go back to taking each day for what it is as a new experience and a, a new opportunity to do things better instead of the preconceived notions and uh, the conclusions we made based on how things were in the past. And that's how it always will be.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And then, you know, one thing that you, you mentioned here that I think is worth unpacking, Devin, is is, is actually the role of light in sleep. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, two things I want to address here that I'd love to hear your uh, feedback on is that how how important it is to um, actually dose light um, be, during the day, so that we kind of—I um, would say, you know, my language—reinforce the natural circadian patterns. You know, we kind That's of right. dose, dose on light during the day, and then when the natural curfew of darkness comes in, we we start to titrate away from that dosage, so to speak. And, and yep. so, two things here: one is reinforcing the importance of dosing with light before we go to sleep, and then also on on the other end the extraordinarily subversive, insidious aspects, deleterious aspects of light um, pollution, artificial light, and how um, damaging that is. And and again, brief kind of philosophical interjection, I have argued that one of the signatures for what's referred to as the dark age, you know, according to Hinduism, what's called the Kali Yuga, Buddhism has the same kind of, we're living in the dark age. And, And I think one of the signatures of the dark age, two things, one is the epidemic of distraction that's one of the signatures Ooh. of the dark age because it's so subversive and secondly the dark age is is also and this completely relates to the to distraction just look at your tablets and whatnot um, your phone is how the dark ages is, is uh, defined also by excessive light and how yeah. light pollution is really causing some serious ecological devastation that because again it's so um, quiet a little bit like global warming on on an even more insidious level there's a heap of hurt going on in the ecosphere based on this this runaway epidemic of light and our addiction to it Uh, it,
1: yeah yeah and and it's and it's it kind of goes with what i said the first thing we could do in insomnia is to have that fixed wake-up time because going with this fixed wake-up time the hope is that we are getting this light you know this is the time to get the light to tell brain that you know this is the time to be awake to start regulating our circadian rhythm to fix this wake-up time by starting it with light and and the opposite of true as well when the sun sets you know this is the signal for our brain to make what's called melatonin melatonin is made by our brain every night it's the signal that it's time to sleep that the wakefulness drive needs to be reduced you know what, what tends to happen now and you touched on this is light becomes 24 7. you know it's not something where where we are doing a good job of reducing the amount of light in our eyes. And and certainly we can take high doses of melatonin, we can put these glue blocker glasses on and, and do things to kind of reduce, do a harm reduction with the light. But at the end of the day, our relationship with light is, is what needs to change. You know, we need to recognize that the world isn't giving us light right now and we need to be one with the world and not go counter to that with all this extra light here. I mean, this is, it's just so it's it's so obvious but it is used to our enemy there you know this uh the great example the city of las vegas the city that never sleeps. well that's new york i guess but i would say las vegas is the same way in the sense to where it is like just constantly there and there is no perception of time in these places and and this does tend to cause a lot more problems and for a city like las vegas you know this lack of sleep it is going to increase impulsivity it is going to keep people spending their money there you know it almost is it's it's a it's a part of our own demise i would say as well because we know and all this knowledge we have about sleep and what it does mentally it can be used against us um in very i would say nefarious ways but also in the way that that we can also if we can understand it begin to make changes with that as well um and so talking about light it, it's it's extremely important and probably Right there, number two, and what are the things that we can do to help with getting a better night's sleep and have a more fulfilling life is to think about what the world is giving us at a specific time of day and to, to roll with that a little bit. And When the world isn't giving us that, you know, let's, let's do things to go back to what the rest of the animal kingdom is doing and not keep creating all this artificial light that just keeps the brain wired, keeps the brain going, and lo and behold, insomnia becomes this human condition that we've done to ourselves.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting how, again, you know, if we were to do a Google search on our conversation, Nevin, it's very interesting how often this term relationship comes up. We've talked about relationship to thoughts, to the contents of mind, yeah. relationship to technology, relationship to light. And I think I, I'm, I'm putting a an exclamation point on this because what this therefore does um, is it empowers us. We're not... Um, unwitting victims of technology of light of thought we're we're um, unwitting victims of an inappropriate relationship to these yeah. phenomena it's yeah. so that the, important because this is something we can so to speak do if you want to talk about doing well we can do a more um, appropriate relationship to light technology thought and and this is again is why to me the the power of some type of introspective technology meditation whatever you want to call it it's really about altering relationships and and therefore, that by altering relationships, we empower our capacities to handle these other otherwise adverse situations. and so it, it, I think it's very compelling yeah. that's things we keep circumambulating
1: here, oh, yeah, yeah, and I'm so glad you say that as well because it it is about the relationship. It's about the relationship we have with sleep, the relationship we have with uh, all the aspects of our waking life, the work we do, the the personal relationships we have, that, you know, all these things are things that feed into wakefulness and feed into sleep. And just altering a relationship, just like you said, I mean, that can make all the difference in the world. And and yeah, it's just really exciting to think about, you know, if we can alter that relationship with sleep and just start to understand it more and achieve it more, you know, the reversal of all these things that show lack of sleep gets, you know, we are having our heart thanking us. We are increasing our productivity. You know, our mood improves. I mean, all that negative studies come out about the lack of sleep. I think we could flip this around on its head and talk about all the positive things that can come when we start to manifest changes in that relationship. And it's a really beautiful thing. And it's probably one of the other things I like to tell patients about when they just come in bombarded by all this data. Like, let's look at the other side of the coin because if this is all true, then the opposite is true as well. So what can we do to now Go on the other side of the coin and improve this instead of getting bogged down by all these potential things that could happen if the loop of our life doesn't change.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's really well said. And, and what I what I thought about here is that really we can reverse the problem by reversing the relationship, and, and that's yeah. really uh, one of the central narratives here. So, so let's let's come back just a, a couple more pra- practical things here in terms of yeah. light. I going to circle back to melatonin. So, give us a couple of specific tips, um, Nevin, if you would, about not only you know dosing during the day with light, but obviously, and this is an interesting kind of play on the red light district, right? So, uh-huh. so, when we go to sleep, as you know, you know all the blue light, especially from tablets, suppresses the we release of melatonin, and so when we go to sleep, you know, we can enter the kind of red light district of the mind, right, where we're trying to uh-huh. go down. So, talk to us specifically about I think I read something or heard something like 40 to maybe even up to 60% of people these days, their their intimate sleeping partner is their device. They go to sleep with that. They go to sleep with whatever. Um, Give us some parameters about kind of detoxifying from this light. Like how early in the evening should we pull away from our tablets or computers? Um, and be very, you know, a little bit more specific about our relationship to light, and, and backing away from it, honoring this natural curfew that light otherwise just
1: interrupts. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think I touched on this as well, but you know, to, to go beyond that, you know, when when we look at these articles and when they talk about quote-unquote sleep hygiene, we're typically saying one to two hours before bedtime, shut off the lights, and I think that's that's a reasonable thing to do in my experience or my, you know, how I relay it is I actually start this process where I'm saying beginning at sunset, you know, start to think about the relationship with light, start to think about what are we doing in terms of all the light we're getting into our eyes, where sunset is probably a little bit on the early side to, you know, put all the lights away. But I think that's the time to begin to start thinking about shutting off those lights and to start thinking about, okay, what can I hold off until tomorrow? What can I compartmentalize that I Do I really need to take this to bed with me? Do I really need to read this article or, or play this game at night here when, you know, I'm going to have another chance to do that tomorrow when the world is giving me light? So what I would say is, you know, one to two hours is probably good. But if we can start even before then, even I would say three to four hours before bedtime, this becomes really important. Um and there actually is, um, and, and I'm, I'm not. I'm, you may be aware of this. There actually is a push, and especially in California here, where high schools are going to start later, because biologically mm-hmm. it's been shown that the teenage mind is not is not a 10 to 6 sleeper. The teenage mind is more of a night owl sleeper, and it's not their fault. It's not laziness. This is their own circadian rhythm not maturing and advancing to where we are typically as adults. They are just natural night owls. So. In terms of using light to our advantage here, we we do want to do that during the daytime here, but we certainly don't want to give ourselves light too early in the morning to where our own biological clock is not ready to wake up yet. So that becomes the other part of this in treating a circadian rhythm disorder, like um, a natural night owl or someone who has morning, morning tendencies, to use light to our advantage, but not necessarily over flood ourselves with light to the point to where our own biological rhythm is now getting confused. And melatonin, um, just to speak on that a little bit there, it is a naturally occurring hormone that our brain makes every night um, that helps to cir- um, and train our circadian rhythm so that we do sleep. Our brain doesn't make a lot of melatonin at night. There isn't a lot a high dose of melatonin that's needed to perform this task. It's easy nowadays for people to take very high dosages of melatonin because they don't want to take a sleeping aid or because they think it's natural. And studies are pretty inconsistent on whether that's even going to do anything to induce sleep or improve insomnia. The real the real trick with melatonin is actually in improving circadian rhythm disorders to try to get people's body clock shifted a little bit. And, and this is why it's also used for jet lag as well. Um, melatonin has a lot of usages there. Um, but the, the, the issue with melatonin is it is a naturally occurring hormone that our brain makes. So we shouldn't necessarily need to Dose ourselves with a lot of melatonin, and in the melatonin, I'll call it industry here. I mean, it is a supplement, it's just like uh, any other supplement out there where there isn't as much oversight or regulation compared to the pharmaceutical industry. So, there's hundreds of brands of melatonin out there, and it's hard to actually know what we are actually getting from that as well. I would say what I talk about with melatonin, and one thing that can help um, a specific subset of people is to take a very low dose of melatonin. And when I say low dose, maybe one milligram, two milligrams max. And you take that at sunset. You know, you don't take it like it's a sleeping medication. You take melatonin at a time when your brain is supposed to be starting to make its own melatonin. And that in and of itself can hopefully psychologically get people to understand that, okay, I took this dose of melatonin here and it's sunset. And then in and of that self, hopefully they're able to do a better job of backing off on the light or being able to end their days. And even if we use melatonin like a quote unquote placebo, the placebo effect is real. Every study that we've done on drugs and things, it shows that people respond to a placebo. And while that's interesting in and of itself, I think this is, this is information that we could use to our advantage. Just the fact that people take something that's relatively safe and naturally made, if this can transform their insomnia, I mean, it's like that phrase, whatever helps you sleep at night, that, that answer to sleep is different for so many people. And We just kind of have to find our own way with that there. And sometimes we need to use these little tricks on our mind there, even if it is a placebo effect, just to kind of structure our day and night a little bit better to where light is something that we are more cognizant of. and something that we are more aware of and what role that might be doing in kind of perseverating the the loop of insomnia that we have.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, a couple of things came to mind. I'm a a big student. I, I love studying placebo and nocebo effects uh-huh. um, because uh, you know in fact is you know it, it, it really it literally is the most reliable effect in medicine and when <laughs> we talk about, really it, it's amazing it should not be underestimated and that when the reason I bring this up is when we're talking about placebo it's really placebo effect is a slight misnomer is it not because it's really a mind effect yes. and to me yeah we here we're coming again, backing to this. well, what, is, what do you mean mind effect? Well, it's a relationship effect. It's like how how are you going to imbue whatever it is, whatever the placebo is, with your belief structures, with whatever whatever you do to empower the placebo to have this this kind of um, medicinal effect? Um, and so uh, the other thing you said at the outset, kind of again, a slightly philosophical interjection about our relationship to light, I have found it interesting, Nevin, to explore how our relationship to light is revelatory to our relationship to darkness altogether. And and that is, um, how afraid are we of literal and metaphorical darkness? How afraid are we of the unconscious mind, of death, of all these hideouts? Because it's very interesting, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's really unfair to darkness because Darkness is in and of itself a, a so-called very neutral event. But what we do yep. in the light of day is we throw darkness is the most convenient refuse heap for all our refused experience. It's, it's where we toss what we don't want to face into the darkness. Fundamentally, mm-hmm. in the end, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and conflate with the darkness of the night. And so, I, I think this is worth tossing into the mix because when people really have. Um, again, adverse or unt- uh, untoward relationships to darkness, this could be revelatory of how they have this relationship to the, the contents of their own mind and heart. And, and I think a metric for this is like, how many lights do you leave on when you go to sleep at night? Yeah. How comfortable are you being in complete darkness? What happens when all outward bound strategies are taken away from you? And again, this is, I think, another intimation of our fear of death. How fundamentally comfortable are you being? completely with yourself without distraction. And I think this this comes down to a a very powerful kind of bed of of these pathological um, issues that so many people face. And so I wanted to toss that back into the mix because again, the wonderful conjoining of inner and outer, and playing with light and darkness in a both a literal and metaphorical sense.
1: So. Yeah, no, I I love that analogy, you know, you know, darkness, and in terms of you know how that how that translates into a to a fear of death, and and you hit the nail on the head. You know, there's nothing inherently different when the light is on, when the light is off. You know, all that's changed is our sensory input, our sense of vision is blunted, so we are confronted more with our other senses and our other thoughts that are just more present in the dark when our eyes aren't able to look at what is around us there. And, and, you know, we see that with children as well, you know, where children have, you know, that fear of the dark, but you know, how to transform that is to just show that, you know, the light is on, the light is off and nothing has changed. It's just your experience of what around you that has changed there. And, you know, if we are just able to redefine that experience of the darkness, you you, you know, and again, I, I just love the, the, I'll call it a leap, even though I don't think it's that tremendous of a leap in terms of a fear of death because, you know, when when you talk about darkness, it is that lack of sensation of sight there, which, oh, and when we die, you know, our senses slowly start to shut down or not slowly, but our senses shut down and darkness and that lack of sight, I mean, it becomes that as well. But what also happens with that is our other senses become more in tune when we lose a sense of something else. You know, when we lose a sense of sight, you know, the sense of hearing can become more astute. And I think that's why, people are tend to be a little bit more hyper aware of sounds in the night or, you know, things seem to be a little bit louder during the night because the, the, the part of our brain that's, you know, responsible for relaying sensory information, the thalamus, it's, it becomes more hyper focused on the other senses that are there. Uh, you know, it's like, it's, I would say that's a sense of taste as well to where if someone is, you know, in the Sahara desert, you know, for, for a week at the time and they drink water. I mean, that is the best tasting water they've ever had compared to someone who's having water every night. You know, the water is the same, independent of that, but it's our perception of it. That lack of the the indulgence in that, that all of a sudden the experience in the brain makes it seem like it's something that it's much greater than it is. And I think that works in the negative way, in the absence of light, but even in a positive way, when we deprive ourselves of something for so long and then we go back to it, it has, you know, our relationship with it kind of goes back to, oh, this is what it was like. This is what the first time I had ice cream was like, or the first time you know, I had that Amazing for whatever it is, and and you know it just kind of takes it a step further of being more aware of these things and recognizing that a lot of these things, a lot of these um, issues, um, these there are obstacles that we've kind of put up to ourselves. But going back to what you do and what you're what you're doing here with with the nightclub and just your own practices, this is where meditation and just becoming more one with the mind and understanding it. I mean, this this is the key, I think, to so many different struggles that we have as human beings. Even yeah, we work yeah. more my
0: friend. And to me, you know, what I was running, <clears throat> excuse me, running through my head <clears throat> is that uh, in the Buddhist tradition, they they refer to mind as the sixth sense. You know, outside mm. our classic five sensory faculties. And to me, and again, this will resonate with anybody who sleeps, is that when uh, we lie down, senses one through five: sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. They kind of lie down with us, but what really? what stands up when those senses stand, uh, stand down or lie down of course is the sixth sense of the mind and so your, your beautiful summary statement there is if we can again establish a new more sensitive relationship to the mind when we're sleeping and dreaming because especially in the dream state yeah mind becomes reality, and it, it, why well take a look because there's nothing else right and so to me, Nevin, this is why I talk about these nocturnal practices, in fact, as practices, as, not, as meditations, is the natural curfew of the night shuts down senses one through five, opens the gates to the sixth sense mm-hmm. of the mind, and therefore invites, and, and really it, 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 death almost commands, according to Tibetan teachings, uh, a, a relationship to the contents of mind because there's simply nothing else. And if you understand that invitation, Then you can align yourself to it and say, "Okay, now you know outward-bound strategies are done. Now we're being invited, and eventually you could say forced to inward-bound strategies." And so, if we understand this larger context and framework, then we can surrender to that, so to speak, and and explore that in in a really skillful way instead of establishing the usual kind of wake-centric, sight centric adversarial, relationship, you um, and I think yeah. just that alone is enormous.
1: It is, yeah, you know, if we understand something, there's no room to fear it, and I think that becomes, just like we've talked about, you know, fear really can kind of keep that cycle moving here, and understanding it is really the first step toward extinguishing that fear, and with that lack of fear, sleep will follow, and these these beautiful experiences that people have, that come to them every night, and REM sleep, the the dreams, they really can be transformed into something that, you know, we take with us, you know, beyond life, you know, it, it's something that we take to our, to our deathbed. And it's just really a beautiful framework of thinking about it. And, a lot, you know, like I've said, you know, it, there's no harm in this, you know, there's harm in medications, there's harm in a lot of interventions. But in terms of this, you know, the worst, what and I, you know, if you want to even call it the worst is a poor night of sleep, which most people are professionals at now. But if this poor night of sleep can lead to a transformative experience or to now a building block to starting getting better night's sleep I my goodness that that's 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 essentially all I want for as a clinician is to be able to help people sleep better whether that is with the medication with a CPAP device with an oral appliance which I know um which I know you do a little bit of and or even just mentally perceiving things in a different way to where sleep is something that is a little bit more effortless
0: yeah, exactly, and this is this is a really great place to start to wind down our conversation. Speaking of unwinding, so, so yeah. let us know um, how people can get in contact with you. Do, do you do things like uh, teleconferencing or Skype um, consultations? It, it, tell us a little bit about you, how people can get in contact with you, because what one of the charters of our little nightclub um, uh, kind of facility is cross-pollinating and introducing people to each other so that they can, you know, have resources um, in this kind of vast spectrum of uh, the materials that were presented here. So let's close by um, giving you the platform to tell a little bit about how people can view what's available for our listeners if they want to tap into your skills a little bit more directly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I guess that's uh, a, that's, that's uh, a great way to end it here. Well, so, I am, as, as we, we've talked about at the outset here, I, I'm a board-certified physician in, in psychiatry and sleep medicine. Uh, I am an MD. My, my my main work is really clinical clinical sleep medicine, a- and I do practice in the state of California. Uh, I, I, I practice in San Diego. I travel to Northern California work at a sleep lab up there as well, and this is the primary scope of my practice is actually more clinical work, and I tend to see, or I do see, Patients in a clinical setting. In terms of you know teleconferencing and Skype, this isn't necessarily anything that I am offering directly, um, and for 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 numerous reasons, um, mostly in the sense of the clinical work that I'm doing, uh, I just stick stay, stay focused on that. And um, so, really, I would say the best way to get in touch with me is really in a clinical setting. I you know I am I am licensed in the state of California, so so I see patients in in this state, but um, I. I, my, my practice in San Diego, as I mentioned, is with Dr. Lamarca, who's been on this um, podcast before and, and has just 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 excellent insights and can really take the, the lucid dreaming aspect to, to another level. So, you know, our website, um, which she may have shared as well during earlier, is, is um, luciditysleeppsych.com. That is our clinical practice there. Dr. Lamarca has her um, own um, site where she does a lot of the Skype and teleconferencing in the scope of lucid dreaming but in terms of you know getting in touch with me again I am a primary md that is the focus of my practice I certainly very much enjoy speaking um in this venue here but most of the work that I'm doing or all the work I'm doing is really in a clinical setting um treating sleep disorders in the California area I hope sure. that helps yeah
0: yeah no that's terrific and and I really I want to thank you not only for taking the time to chat with us, but also to indulge some of these more philosophical, metaphysical interjections that I threw your way, because what I try to do is I try to create larger frameworks and context so that we can empower the type of work that you do so that we have a larger scope, um, situational scope, contextual scope of what we're really doing here, where um, especially for some of our peeps, it can maybe resonate them with uh, with them a little bit more. But Nevin, thank you so much for taking the yeah. time to No, absolutely.
1: Yeah, Andrew, I really appreciate what you're doing with this. I think this is excellent. I thoroughly enjoyed myself speaking to you here, and I I really hope that this can reach your viewers and we can, you know, begin to, you know, really start to improve this work. So really excellent. I really love what you're doing here. Kudos to you. And yes, very enjoyable. Thank you so much for having me. You're
0: very welcome. And, and as you know, we could probably spend 50 hours chatting. I
1: could could talk about this all day, yeah. We'll
0: we'll bring you back on in about a year or so because – Really, there's so much to talk in this, in this arena. but
1: okay. I know we just scratched the surface. Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely.
0: Thanks again for taking the time. And uh, we'll definitely stay in touch in the near future. So we so appreciate it. Take
1: Thank care now. Thank you. We'll talk soon.